0: Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Friday, September 25th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The face mask economy. How everyone from high fashion designers to mom and pop shops on Etsy met the demand and where they go from here. The origins of the phrase, jack of all trades. Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to fund polling locations, and Vin Diesel pivots to singer-songwriter. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Alright, starting today with a bit of a deep dive, let's talk about face masks. If you're like most people, you probably have a few of them by this point. I started with one my roommate sewed for me from an old shirt. I managed to get a box of standard surgical masks at the start of the pandemic. I used those as backups, and I bought a couple from a friend who has been cranking them out with astonishing speed. In particular, she was offering some really cool Halloween-themed fabrics, so I've got a skeleton mask just waiting for October 1st. I've also been considering picking up a pack of sturdy yet affordable masks from Old Navy, and I allowed myself one novelty face mask from an Etsy store. A Val Kilmer Doc Holiday mask that says, forgive me if I don't shake hands. When mask orders were finally dictated from on high here in the states, I never thought the mask-making sector would blow up in the way that it did. I was holding out hope that bandanas would prove effective in combating transmission and that we'd all spend the year looking like Wild West robber barons as bandanas finally made the solid fashion comeback I've been waiting for since childhood. Alas, bandanas are the worst face covering you can choose, short of those knitted kinds with the holes in them. Seriously, don't wear a bandana as a face covering when out and about. But instead, an entire booming industry launched from discount stores to Etsy entrepreneurs to high fashion lines. Everyone is selling masks. Marker describes it as, quote, the kind of industrial mobilization we're more used to seeing during wartime, end quote. But the bubble is about to burst. Backing up first, though, some companies were very quick to hop onto the mask game, Many were looking for ways to either genuinely or for PR points give back by making huge amounts of masks for frontline workers. Others recognized their sales were about to plummet. Vistaprint, for example, saw the writing on the wall early, knowing that their office supply business was about to go belly up if they didn't pivot. So they did, becoming one of the most recommended face mask brands when they launched their line in mid-April. And since then, they have sold over a million masks. Many apparel companies had a similar foresight, knowing their brick-and-mortar stores were going to be ordered to close, and that people losing their jobs weren't about to spend extra money on clothing. And for clothing companies who were looking at extra stock that wouldn't get sold before the fabric went bad, shifting to masks made sense, even with the extra challenges of shifting machinery and staff to create masks. But some of them also saw another benefit to selling masks. The possibility of being categorized as an essential business— And in some cases, getting contracts with the city or state governments to cover the costs of their mask manufacturing because they are providing PPE to the public. Regardless of their motivation, masks are saving many of those businesses. Quoting Marker, Before COVID-19, McKinsey estimated that sectors like apparel and footwear would grow only 3-4%. to Now it's predicting the categories will contract by up to 30% by the end of this year. Aside from sweatpants, face masks have become apparel's only bright spot. According to KeyBank, by 2020, the U.S. market for face masks could amount to $6 billion. End quote. And it's not just major companies. Small businesses and individuals have been reaping the rewards of mask-making as well. Quoting a separate Marker article, Etsy announced that over the weekend of April 4th, shoppers had done more than 2 million searches for face masks on the site, and that in the past week, the company had sold hundreds of thousands of handmade face masks per day, end quote. And some more Etsy numbers. In their second quarter, mask sales accounted for $350 million, of which Etsy itself took home 5%. They saw a 100% increase in new sellers, as well as 18.7 million new and reactivated buyers. From April to June, over 100,000 sellers were offering face masks. Etsy saw a 94% increase in products other than face masks compared with the previous year. And Smaller independent sellers were making several thousand to tens of thousands of dollars a month on masks alone, while those who got particularly lucky and sellers that were already established companies broke into the low millions over the course of the summer. The Verge notes that not only did Etsy encourage their sellers to pivot to face masks early on with push notifications advising them that they could make a difference and offering refunds on listing fees for their first hundred masks, But Etsy had the advantage of inherently focusing solely on cloth face coverings for the general public from the get-go, where other platforms like Amazon and eBay were having to combat the sale of N95s and surgical masks that needed to be prioritized for healthcare workers. Quoting The Verge, Amazon sellers complained that they had to go through a specific application process in order to get their listings approved, which often didn't happen eBay banned mask sales in March and didn't start allowing cloth masks to be sold until May 1st. In the month eBay waited, 12 million masks were sold on Etsy, end quote. But now, as everyone has bought up quite a few masks for every occasion, and we look at a hopeful day in the coming year or two when we won't have to be wearing masks as much, and masks are available literally anywhere you go, small businesses and large companies alike, many of whom are still relying on masks as the only thing people will reliably buy from them right now, have to do more to stand out. That means innovative designs, artist collaborations... Some are pivoting to mask accessories, like lanyards, carry cases, and anti-fog spray for glasses. But it also means a lot of marketing. Social media ad spending is up 74% this year. Apparel brands whose digital ad spending overall declined from the first to second quarter of the year nonetheless saw a 136% increase in advertising on accessories. Even though the spike in demand will soon be coming to a close, this isn't technically a bubble that's about to pop. Quoting Marker, In economic terms, a true bubble refers to a scenario in which the price of an asset rises higher than its fundamental value. It's often driven up by market exuberance like inflated startup valuations or housing prices. End quote. The demand here is real, and the supply surge was able to meet it. It's just that everyone is wary about when the demand will die down again, and the trick for businesses will be how they stay afloat when it does. Marker points to what we've seen in wartime, when some companies are able to pivot in ways that benefit them financially and grow their brand awareness, keeping them industry favorites for generations to come. But there are also the ones who pivot too harshly like the case of Commonwealth Aircraft Company, which shifted production from a single-prop Skyranger plane to a two-glider aircraft during World War II. But no one needed the two gliders when the war was over, and their factory had been changed over so quickly with some equipment being thrown out that they couldn't go back to their popular Skyranger line or adapt to producing newer models to compete in the industry. As a result, they went bankrupt and ceased production two years after the war's end. The companies and independent sellers who have done the best are the ones who already had manufacturing set up for similar apparel, and the ones who managed to weather the storm will be the ones who can be similarly nimble in returning to their usual fare. So on Wednesday, when I was talking about prioritizing which things to put your full effort into, I used the phrase jack of all trades, master of none to describe myself in a self-deprecating way. Well, Christopher on Twitter pointed out to me that the full phrase is actually a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And I like that because it makes me feel better about myself, and also because it really matches the tone of what I was discussing on Wednesday, how one can juggle many different things and still get something out of them, even if you don't do them all the way. But I wanted to dig deeper to see where the phrase really came from. It's always tough to discern the origin of older common phrases, but it seems possible this is one instance in which the phrase just kept getting added to over the years— with each time people saying the additions were the original. So in Elizabethan England, there was a phrase Johann's Factotum, which translated to Johnny Do-It-All, and it had the same negative connotation as Jack-of-All-Trades. Its most well-known printed use from the time was in a booklet written by Robert Greene in 1592, criticizing William Shakespeare. It read... There is an upstart crow, beautified with our feathers, that with his tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide, supposes he is as well able to bombast down a blank verse as the best of you, and being an absolute Johann's factotum, is in his own conceit the only shake scene in a country. End quote. Meanwhile, the first printed use of the phrase jack-of-all-trades is in the 1618 book Essays and Characters of a Prison by Jeffrey Minschel. I found a couple of websites erroneously citing this book as the first instance of the full phrase, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one, but I dug up a copy of the book online and all that it says is jack of all trades, while describing a rather off-color stereotype of a porter. An important thing to note here is that Jack was often used to describe your classic everyman, much like we might say average Joe today. And usually it meant a working-class man, one who had to maybe work multiple jobs to keep food on the table, and therefore wasn't necessarily so great at all of those jobs. It makes sense that Green would apply this label to Shakespeare as someone from a working-class background who was finding success in a field previously dominated by the upper class, thus calling him an upstart crow and throwing the quasi-Latin version of the phrase into boot. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the master of none part of the phrase was added, at least according to print records, in the early 1700s. The Boston Newsletter in 1721 printed, Jack of all trades, and it would seem, good at none. While jack of all trades might seem sort of up for interpretation, it could be a good thing, adding this good at none or master of none addendum made the user's intent explicit. But as for the final line, some version of but oftentimes better than a master of one, there aren't really any official records of how it came about. There are a few blogs and such that claim it's the original phrase, but no record of it being used before the past few decades, at least according to any sources that I found. But regardless of when exactly it was added, I do think it dovetails well with our current gig economy, for better or worse. You have to be a jack of all trades to get by these days, Might as well update our idioms to encourage it. On September 3rd, I shared some social media age life lessons from Arnold Schwarzenegger that came about during an interesting saga with a Terminator-themed tobacco pipe on Reddit. And now, Schwarzenegger is back with more wholesome uses of his platform. On Wednesday, the former governor of California took to Twitter to offer up his own money to fund closed polling locations. Here's what he said, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm a fanatic about voting. Most people call closing polls voter suppression. Some say it's budgetary. What if I made it easy and solved the budgetary issue? How much would it cost to reopen polling places? This is a serious question. Is closing polling stations about making it harder for minorities to vote, or is it because of budgets? If you say it's because of your budget, let's talk, end quote. And then to show that he's not just virtue signaling, he continued, quote, Today, I sent a letter to nearly 6,000 elections officials and county commissioners in states formerly covered by Voting Rights Act Section 5, inviting them to apply for grants funded by me to reopen polling centers and improve voting access. This country gave me everything, and I truly believe this could be one of the best investments I've ever made. All of us can do our part to give back and fight for equality. The grants are completely nonpartisan and will be offered to those who demonstrate the greatest need and ability to close gaps in voting access, end quote. He notes that the grants would be run through the University of Southern California's Schwarzenegger Institute for State and Global Policy, which definitely makes it more legit and above board than a rich dude just trying to throw money at something. But Upworthy does note that it's possible this kind of thing wouldn't even be legal in all 50 states, let alone if anyone will take him up on the offer. Still, it's a bold and interesting move on Schwarzenegger's part. Even if it doesn't lead to anything, it definitely got everyone talking. And before I leave you for the weekend, one more quick story about blockbuster muscle men doing the unexpected. Vin Diesel just dropped his first ever single. Called Feel Like I Do, Vin Diesel partnered with Norwegian DJ Kygo on the track, which Rolling Stone describes as, quote, "...unmistakably fitting the mold of contemporary pop EDM, complete with candy-coated synths, rubber band bass lines, and a pitch-shifted vocal that's warped into the song's hook." Speaking to the audience of the Kelly Clarkson show where he debuted the song this morning, Diesel said, "...on a year that I would normally be on a movie set, and as you know that's not possible, I've had another creative outlet, another way to show you or share with you my heart." End quote. Here's a quick listen of Feel Like I Do. One of my most ride-or-die Fast and Furious fan friends gave this very sophisticated review of the track, quote, "...it's the only song I recognize as music from now on, regardless of whether or not it's good." End quote. When I first heard the song, I thought, oh yeah, you know, I I could see this being the song of the summer. And then I remembered, it's the end of September, and I have lost all sense of time and meaning. But hey, Vin Diesel is releasing club tracks, Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to save democracy, and moms on Etsy are making millions of dollars selling a product that almost no one in America would have considered buying a year ago. So if I want to say this is the song of the summer for the month of October, I'm gonna do it. That is it from me for this week. As always, the Kotki Ride Home was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I am going to go open a face mask lanyard shop on Etsy. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you again on Monday.